CNIB on our on our website as a two-star charity. It's not a one-star, it's not a zero-star, it has no donor advisory. It's pretty much run-of-the-mill. I think the, the alarm bell to me is that this is news. This has been going on for as long as we've looked at CNIB. This is not news. This is not a new development. This isn't a one-time spike. This is the way it has always been. Hello, I'm David Best, and this is Triple Vision, the podcast that is exploring the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. In the past three episodes, we talked about the governance model of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, otherwise known as CNIB. And today, Peter Field and Hannah Levitt have Kate Bain from Charity Intelligence as our guest. She will be sharing with us their role in reporting on activities of charitable organizations in Canada. So, Peter, let's jump right in. I'm going to have our guest introduce herself in a moment, David, but just to add a little bit more context, as you said, we've been exploring the governance of CNIB over the past few podcasts. Shortly after we decided to do these episodes, there was a CBC article that came out with a report by Charity Intelligence about fundraising uh, at CNIB and the proportion of funds that are going back into the organization for programs and services and the proportion of funds that go back into the organization to do more fundraising. And that's really what we're here to talk to our guest about. So, um, Kate, can you please introduce yourself? Welcome to Triple Vision. Well, thank you so much. What a privilege to be on your on your platform talking to your community. Um, my name is Kate Bain, and I'm a research analyst at Charity Intelligence. And I crunch numbers, and I do financial analysis so that Canadians can be informed about their giving and so many of the numbers that we'll be talking through today are readily available so that it's not an eye-opening experience and that donors aren't shocked that they have this information before they make their donations. So welcome to the program, Kate. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about Charity Intelligence in terms of its purpose, uh, like its mission, and what it is you do to achieve that mission. Sure. Um, We've been around for 17 years now. We research Canadian charities and we post our research reports with our ratings on our website at Charity Intelligence. And it was literally because uh, we were looking at the charities we were giving to and we were a bit surprised by some of the numbers. And then we began, you know, looking out across Canada for excellence And in the charitable sector, primarily, so much is driven by marketing and advertising and brand reputation that's built on marketing and fundraising spend. We were instead looking at a charity's bottom line results. How is it helping people? Where can our donations have the biggest bang for the buck? So our website has the reports on what we call like the sort of the good, the bad and the ugly. So that people can, you know, be informed and, you know, really understand how charities are spending their money. It's a big sector. Canadians give $18 billion each year. In terms of the quality of charities reporting, good improvements there, but we're still so far behind the UK and Australia. 
getting better, but nowhere near where we need to be. So we're seeing changes in charities, but the key is donors, uh, Canadians having access to this information and using it to be informed and understand what their rights are and how their charities stack up. That's where we've seen tenfold growth. So that's that's been exceeded all our wildest dreams and expectations on that one. So Peter mentioned that we asked you to be on the program today because of a recent report you put out about uh, your findings of CNIB's activities in fundraising and program services. Could you tell us a little bit more about that report uh, about CNIB and the findings you have on that report? It's not a new report. Um, We've been reporting on these uh, on CNIB since 2011 and posting this information on our website. So it's really about, you know, people doing a little bit of research before they make a giving decision. So this was the most recent update. CNIB is one of Canada's largest charities. We call them the major 100s. Um, it's, it's one of the t- 100 largest charities in terms of the donations it receives from the public. And so this was just an updated report. And there really has been no change over the years. So what the report shows, is this charity financially transparent? Yes. If you took the time to read its annual report and the information on its website, would that give you a full picture? And in this respect, it's it's below average. So uh, lots of, I would say, fluffy statements but no actual, you know, in 2021, we served X number of people. We produced X number of guide dogs. Uh, we matched X number of, you know, uh, people with vision impairment who attended our camps. People like to tell a story about what happened to one person, but we're looking, a story is an anecdote. And we're really looking for the sort of total number of people served, how these people were served, what were the activities done? And in that respect, it's 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 below average in the information it discloses. So maybe we see that as a proxy of accountability. And then the the sort of interesting things that I think most Canadians are most interested in sometimes are the financial metrics. And we can calculate those pretty much in our sleep. It's just for every dollar you donate, how much goes to the cause, uh, how much is spent on fundraising and overhead. And at the end of the day, how much goes to run it's, it's charitable programs for the blind community. People shouldn't be surprised. It is, a, it is outside what we call a reasonable range. And, you know, 52 cents gets spent on fundraising and overhead costs, so, which, is, which is very high relative to other charities in Canada. Most charities in Canada have, so our reasonable range is for every dollar you donate, 65 cents to 95 cents goes to the cause. And 75% of charities are within that wide range. And the CRA Charities Directorate has a guidance that fundraising costs should not exceed 35%. But at CNIB, um, they have a huge amount of spending on fundraising. I mean, 15 million uh, each year. And it's sort of so interesting to me, if you think of the charities directorate guidance, it's like having a a speed zone, you know, this is a 50 zone or this is a 60 zone. And, you know, people should respect the rules. Yet it seems to be the largest charities in Canada 
So think of them as, you know, the big sort of, you know, the big, big trucks, not like little scooters. The big trucks are typically the ones who are far in excess of, of, of what the limit should be. And that has radical effects on the rest of the sector. When the biggest charities in Canada are breaking the rules or breaking the guidance and spending $15 million a year on fundraising, there is no way smaller organizations can possibly get their message out uh, into the community. Well, that definitely demonstrates what we as consumers uh, find. Uh, as blind consumers, we can't seem to get our message out about what it is we need. And and that that example really, you know, confirms that, that we just don't have access to the money, right? What Hannah's talking about there is, um, and the, the, the core reason why we did this story or started the series on governance is because myself as a member of the blind visually and impaired community or blind partially sighted community that they don't really feel that CNIB represents them. Nobody knows how decisions are made. I think you the issue that you're raising there around accountability, how is it that blind Canadians are going to understand how they're being served? But, um, you know, it, it's, it's an accountability around, you know, I am a, a blind individual in Canada who may or may not get my services, but I don't understand how the decisions are made around these services. Can you kind of comment on that from your perspective? What you talk about here, Peter, is exactly one of the sort of fundamental gaps. And one of the challenges of charities in Canada is that the money is coming from a different group of people than the people who are receiving the services. Mm -hmm. And you see this with food banks or homeless shelters or, you know, uh, I mean, so many different things that donors are putting money in, but they aren't the ones who get to experience the services. So this is where the not-for-profit sector or the charity sector is fundamentally different from the for-profit sector. In the for-profit sector, if you buy things or use things, that's your money and you are receiving the benefit and you can determine what's the best value. But in the charity sector, you were giving the money to help somebody else. And it's always that challenge to make sure that there's that proper feedback loop. Uh, you know, um, and as I think as you address, you know, the people who are being served, is this the best use of money? Is this matching what their needs are? So there's nothing illegal going on here. Mm -mm. Yeah. Nothing's illegal. But why highlight this if there's nothing illegal going on? It, it isn't even highlighted. Um, you know, a CNIB on our on our website is a two-star charity. It's not a one-star. It's not a zero-star. It has no donor advisory. It's pretty much run-of-the-mill. I think the, the alarm bell to me is that this is news. This has been going on for as long as we've looked at CNIB. This is not news. This is not a new development. This isn't a one-time spike. This is the way it has always been. The guide dog part of the equation is new to the 
to our community in that CNIB is now funding guide dogs. CNIB did a survey and blind people said, we don't need another guide dog school in Canada. We have uh, three or four already. And then they did a survey of donors and the donors overwhelmingly said, yes, we need you know, beautiful guide dogs and everything. So so they chose to go the guide dog route. And then, of course, the marketing for the guide dog school is pretty offensive to a lot of visually impaired people, right? And I, I mean, you don't know, but I would strongly suspect, I mean, CNIB would be looking at, you know, the other charities in the UK and Australia, and you can see how much money comes in for guide dogs. So yeah. that, as you said, is really the golden ticket. So it would be interesting that that would even be put on a donor. Sir. Why would you survey the donors? Like, yeah. I, I don't understand why you would survey the donors. What what services for the for the vision impaired community do you think we should provide? How would a donor know that? I think we're getting to uh, something that you talked about um, before we sort of talking about this, Kate, and that is the value. Do you have any views on how this all relates to to what this means for for blind Canadians? I, I realize we are in the position of that, but I'm wondering if you have any opinions on that. Yeah, um, we do always find that when charities have strong feedback mechanisms and when they are serving the people they serve, then they can allocate their spending where it can do the most good. Talking about the value, I mean, where is the money going and how is it delivering the best value for the community? And it, it to me, it always sort of comes back down to the, the better you can understand the problem the better you can tackle it. And you would hope for evidence-based policies that you could see if we do A, B, and C, we will hope to see a change in X, Y, and Z. But that doesn't seem to be the case in this situation. Yeah, a lot of feeling in the blind community is that the stereotype of blindness is perpetuated in their marketing and everything. And we're a product, right, that is marketed for 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 charity dollars, right? And you aren't alone in that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, there's a huge revolution going on in ethical marketing, whether, it, you know, how do we portray people? And exactly, it, you are served up in TV commercials to pull it, you know, in the emotional manipulation to open purse strings. But this is sort of like the natural uh, evolution of organizations. Uh, Terry Fox was very frustrated with the Canadian Cancer Society and, you know, dared to ask the question, what are they doing? And that's, you know, he began, he began his run across Canada and the Terry Fox Foundation um, that was going to be dedicated to translational research was created. It's exactly the same in 1973. It was three doctors who were just fed up with the bureaucracy of the Red Cross and stepped away and formed Doctors Without Borders. So this sort of breakaway and innovation and being able to define who you are and, you know, what you're going to do differently, um, it, I, I think it makes it healthy. I, I, I think it's healthy a healthy dynamism of an, of an organization to be able to evolve. Is there some kind of change we need to see to the Charities Act, Kate? This question of accountability and back to the people who actually receive the services, I would imagine there's 
next to nothing or nothing in the Charities Act. Like governance is one thing, but if we just back it up a bit, financial transparency, trying to get the audited financial statements of charities, not an issue for CNIB, but it's a big issue in Canada. In, in, in the US and the UK and Australia, that is on the government's website. Yet here in Canada, it's not a requirement. Again, it's recommended, it's a guidance, but it's not required. So we're still filing 100, over 100 access to information each year, which is just such an utter waste of time and money. Accountability, which I would say is the annual report or the information about what did you, what did this organization, what did this charity do in the last year? In the UK, that, that, that was regulated back in 2000. And it said your annual report must include this information. Uh, North America has a much more fundraising approach to its annual report, which sort of presents lots of stories, but not significant information for the most part. Because charities respond at the end of the day to two things, media and money, and um, raising awareness in the media, but also telling donors, you know, if you don't get the answers, if you aren't satisfied with this, stop feeding the beast. One thing that came up on our last last podcast too, Kate, was that um, CNIB has different sources of funding. They have federal government funding for their a program called Come to Work. Uh, you know, there's the guide dog program that is funded do- by donations, but they also have a section um, that is a, a for profit uh, section called Frontier Computing that provides technology. So, like, how do you how do you look at a, a charity that has you know, federal government funding, donations, and is for profit as well. So it has a, so social enterprise was kind of like all the buzzword about 10 years ago. And there was a lot of pressure on charities to start for-profit groups. Red Cross did it, Diabetes Canada does it, so CNIB's doing it. I'll give you an analogy. My son was in the Canadian Armed Forces and you, you get the boots that the army gives you but you can buy far better boots with insole support, ankle supports off Amazon. So the question is, you know, are you, are you as a consumer when you buy the technology products from Frontier, uh, are, are you using Frontier or can you use alternative suppliers? And is that just, are you just going to let market forces allow you to, to sort of get the best the best value for your money. And it always comes back to choice, right? But yeah. I think the question of monopoly, I mean, that's the question that um, Mary Ellen raised on podcast two, was the feeling that there there isn't a lot of choice. There's really no consumer choice. Um, people kind of go to this one place and, and that's about it. How appropriate is it, do you think, for blind Canadians to get really any services from a charity at this point. I mean, the charity was there, I would assume, 100 years ago to fill a certain need. But, you know, is that still required? Is, is, do Canadians who need these services still need to go to a charity? Does that, in fact, prevent them from going somewhere else or prevent mm-hmm. business from filling the gap or even government from filling the gap? Three things there. In, in, in the first interview, in the first podcast, I found that fascinating that, you know, in terms of advocacy, they were bringing up the 
eugenics policies of the 1930s. Like, you know, that was like their success. Look how much we've done, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness. Um, yes, society has changed. We've had the civil rights movement. You know, I don't think, you know, CNIB was particularly involved in that. You know, what What are the attitudes of the community and what are the blocks to 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 the blind community today and how can those best be addressed? So, I, I, you know, when you have such a long history, let's not sit on the laurels of what was achieved in the 1930s. You've got to be on your toes about how is our community changing and how can we best meet those needs today? How should services best be delivered? By a charity, by for-profit companies, or by government? I think there are issues with all three. You know, many people are concerned sometimes, you know, with, with, with veterans, and it all has to go through the Ministry of Defense. And that has not had very good results. If it goes to the for-profit sector, is the community then going to be gouged for profits? And then there's the charity sector where the charity acts as an agency to, to provide uh, government programs and services. An interesting thing in Canada, like every hospital you go to, that's a charity. Every public school is a registered charity. Municipal governments run cat shelters, you know, uh, and they are registered charities. So I sort of, you know, people say we don't want to be a registered charity or is, is using a registered charity the most appropriate way. I don't think the public is sort of clear on what is and what is not a registered charity. That's interesting. What I hear you saying there is it may not actually matter what the model is as long as it's delivering what it should be delivering in a sort of fair, equitable way and people have a chance to feedback as to whether they're receiving the services that they should. And, and Canada's having a huge debate. Should, should healthcare only be delivered by hospitals or government-funded healthcare or should we have the option for private? And you have private, you know, in dentistry, you have private in eyes, you have private in hernia. Um, you know, is is that's that's just a that's a huge policy question. Um, I think for your community, the biggest challenges will be that the that the community is so small; it isn't a large consumer market. So you are going to have limited options. And I do believe that choice is always so fundamental so that it isn't just there is only one place where, where you can get the services that you need. I think it's always much healthier when, when you have choices. Yeah, one of the comments we heard from CNIB reps too um, about service provision is that um, their explanation is, oh, we're evolving. And I mean, to me, that's kind of... And it's an explanation, but it can also be an excuse. The interesting thing is, if it is evolving and it, it does have gaps between its community's needs, is is it making efforts to to sort of improve and bridge those gaps? Does it have that learning culture? But from what I could hear from the podcasts is that all of the feedback from the from 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 those it raises money on behalf of and those it is serving just feel that they are completely not represented in the decision-making process. There's, there's definitely a disconnect. Is yes. the disconnect bigger today than it was 10 years ago? 
is the gap getting bigger or is it being addressed and is the gap getting smaller? So that would be how it is evolving, right? So when CNID says it's evolving, which way is it evolving, wider or narrower? Well, Kate, I really want to thank you for coming on Triple Vision. This has, for me, crystallized three podcasts that have led up to this. And um, we would love to have you back again. You've asked some incredible questions here, questions that we're going to bring forward. I want to thank you for being an ally on behalf of the community of Canadians who have the lived experience of blindness because you're bringing so much to the table today. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, thanks, Peter and Hannah, for that interesting dialogue. Uh, I, I really think that we've we've hit a, a target point here when we talk about the charities and the role they're playing and, you know, the options that consumers have. Donors don't necessarily know what the consumers of the services want. So what did you pick up from that conversation? I think it's really important to point out that this series is not a gotcha kind of series on CNIV. It's not about, you know, we've got you in a corner and, you know, I don't know how you're going to get out of it. I think these are questions that have been around for a long time. And somebody like Kate today really brought us some answers or brought me some answers in terms of why charities operate the way they operate. And she did talk about pros and cons there you know she didn't say there wasn't a place for charities they she seemed to say charities have their place as long as they're organized in a certain way as long as there's those feedback loops from the people receiving the services as long as they're following guidelines on how much money they can spend on fundraising so she didn't say there was no place for charities but she did say charities need to evolve and continue to evolve to meet the needs of the people who are receiving the services. That's what I heard. What did you hear, Hannah? I really valued the part where she talked about the disconnect. In, like you mentioned, the feedback loop, right? It really highlighted that is a, a really big problem for the organization. And I, I think it's also unfortunate that its rating hasn't changed for many years now, like they don't seem to be addressing that. They're not, you know, moving toward reducing that ratio, mm. uh, and and that's unfortunate. It would have been nice to see a little a little change there, you know, some intention, like that would show some intention, right, on yeah. their part to address that problem. So I think, yeah, that feedback, and like I said to Kate too, is you know, donors have can go around and and shop around. Uh, for their fundraising dollar, but, you know, how will they know the real story, right? I mean, you know, guide dog ads on television say, you know, there's a 400-person waiting list in Canada for guide dogs. Well, who, I mean, we mentioned to Kate that Canadians can go anywhere in the States for a guide dog. Like, how do we, how do we address that misinformation, that fundraising misinformation that gets out, right? According to the, uh, the research, uh, report that was produced. CNIB has a two-star rating out of five. So I would think that that is something that really needs to be looked at because that would indicate to me that there's a huge gap in 
the services that are being provided and the needs that are out there. So I, I would like to see us take this information and maybe get the community to think about how we can engage the CNIB to close that gap and, and raise the star rating. Yeah, and that's what we're going to do in our next podcast. We're going to have more members of the community back. Uh, we'll be there too because, David, you posed an interesting question earlier this week when uh, you said we've been talking for four podcasts now about issues. Where are the solutions? Because that's where we're going next uh, on our next podcast is now that we've heard and we've got all the issues out on the table, what are the solutions? Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of Alliant, A-L-L-Y-A-N-T, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, A-E-B-C. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc., AMI-audio. Jacob Shemansky is the technical producer, and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally... Thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions or comments, you can email us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21. 